Greetings and welcome to another episode of Stanford Cinema. Thank you very much for tuning in to another installment. As always, I am your host. My name is Andrew. Continuing on with our Star Wars series, we've got Johnny Bones Row. How's it going, John? I'm doing pretty good, man. You doing pretty good? I'm doing really, really well. We are recording this on a Thursday and tomorrow's Friday, and that means I am flying to Austin for the weekend. It's going to be a little birthday trip, so I get to actually, I'll be seeing you in, what, 24 hours? So yeah, I'm really excited. I'm doing really well. I like to hope so. It's 24, so I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, Mm -hmm. Rainy Street, what are you thinking, man? You got like a places you'd want to go to, even if you can't make it on this trip? I mean, honestly, just, I I really don't give a shit where we are as long as I'm able to see everybody. That's really what I I mean. People are like, well, where do you want to go? I'm like, I don't really give a shit. I just want to see my friends, you know, and rainy street just seems to make sense. We're going to be staying on rainy street. It's kind of centrally located. So it makes sense. So as stated, We are continuing on with our Star Wars series. As you know, each month we've been doing a different, a different episode and we're doing it chronologically. So this will be our fourth episode, but it won't be episode four. In fact, it will be one of the little origin stories. And this one, we've got Han Solo's origin story. So we've got Solo, a Star Wars story. And what do you think, John? How do you want to, how do you want to start this one? I think you said it well. It's a fun origin story about Han Solo. It's a, it's a fun movie about young Han, who's one of the most beloved characters there is. So, uh, I, I I noticed that you've got something in common with a little Han Solo specifically. Now the the audience won't know because of the fact this is an audio podcast, but I think I think you're doing this for me. I I, I see that you've got uh you've got a little black vest action going on. You know, so a little Han Solo. Decor, I, I would rather uh, wardrobe is uh, you look you look uh, like a a scruffy stuck up nerf herder, right? Yeah, I think that's pretty close, man. Yeah, whatever. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that and Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I found a uh, nice black vest that just goes with the black suit that I own and a old white shirt. You know, I want to make sure it looked rough and. Uh, but yeah, you know, I just really wanted to get, in, you know, into my inner Han. I think uh, you succeeded. Thank you. Well, I feel good about it. Uh, this is the fourth film and you mentioned me drinking a sip of my beer. The beer I was drinking is Fireman's Four and it's in, uh, I don't know, just because this is the fourth pod we're doing, fourth film in line, went with a Fireman's Four tonight. So I've got, there was another beer, there was a different beer that I wanted to have, but I couldn't find it at my local store. So I found something that kind of works. This one is called Hooligan. So I'm drinking a Hooligan beer. There's another one that I really wanted, but they didn't have it. It's called Han Brolo. Yeah. I mean, which is a pretty great title for a beer, but but I couldn't find it. They didn't have it in stock. (laughs) Believe it or not, this is my second choice beer. Uh, my initial one was called, uh, Cadillac Bandito. It was Mm. by deep Ellum, but it was a seasonal beer and I haven't been able to find it other than like two days at the the nice Mm. little mart. But after that, it's just been sold out. And I guess I'm too lazy to go to 
you know, to drive all around town to find that one. But yeah, Deep Elm's a Dallas brewery and Cadillac Bandito just kind of sounded like Han Solo. Like Cadillac's kind of like the Millennium Falcon, Bandito, mm-hmm. that's kind of like Han Solo. That's what I wanted. I like the it. Fireman's Four is a good backup. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I actually had the opportunity to go to uh, Deep Ellum one time when we went up to Dallas. Pretty good little brewery there. Yeah. There's a, uh, if anybody goes to that brewery and they want food, there's a Terry Black's that's located next to it or really close. All I know is that the there's a Terry Black's located in uh, Dallas in the Deep Ellum area. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. Now, you were going to say something before I interrupted you to talk about uh, the brewery. What were you going to say? Do you remember? No, probably. Well, I think I was just coming to the realization that the crawl is not really a crawl in this movie. It's a little different, which is kind of cool because it's not, you know, a a Star Wars Anakin Skywalker kind of film. It's a different style one. And it just kind of gets you these quick hits that basically Mm -hmm. just tell you that life sucks (laughs) and and kids are basically uh, working and stealing uh, to survive on mean streets. So I think that's basically what the crawl says. I don't think there's really anything super specific. We wanted to read it for the audience. We could, but you you just nailed the bullet points. So I think that we, it it says everything that we need to know. And as stated, you know, this is the Han Solo origin. If you watch the original trilogy and most people have, you know, you, you know who Han Solo is and this one takes him back or takes uh, the audience back to when he quite frankly was, it was a kid trying to get off the planet Corellia and his love interest and how he enlists and deserts uh, the, the, um, the Imperial and then runs into some other um, what's the word smugglers and scoundrels and things like that, where he, he finds himself and, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of, kind of what the movie is, but I guess, I mean, we can, we can talk a little bit more about this movie, but I, I guess without getting too plot focused or anything like that, what did you think of this movie? I liked it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty good. I thought that, uh, I thought there was a lot of tie-ins to uh, the different, uh, the original series and stuff like that. Uh, it, after covering the original or episode one, two, and three. I thought this was a cool one that didn't have nearly the pressure that Phantom Menace had, and you could just enjoy the ride. And I thought the cast was great in it. Yeah, I thought uh, it built on the Millennium Falcon, and you got to see the Millennium Falcon, and it's like pristine beauty and stuff like that. So I just thought it was a really cool movie. I agree. I thought it was a really well done movie, and you mentioned the cast, and just for the audiences, you know, you've got. Woody Harrelson, Amelia Clark, Donald Glover, um, Tandy Newton, who are, well, she's no longer Tandy Newton. It's what is it? Tandyway Newton, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Paul Bettany. And then, of course, the lead is, what is it? Alden? Is it Alden or Aiden? Alden, I think, is uh, Aaron Reich. And he plays he plays Han Solo in this movie. It was um, written by father-son team Lawrence Kasdan. And if you're a fan of the Star Wars series or if you're a fan of many George Lucas films, Lawrence Kasdan, you know, wrote Empire Strikes Back. He wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, you know, he, he's written many other 
action adventures and he came on to uh to write the solo screenplay and it was directed by ron howard but not originally ron howard actually came on into this project well well into it did you do you know anything about this you in your in your research of this movie here any any of the um some of the 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 drama that went on behind the scenes no i don't i don't know the backstory so yeah, um, originally there were actually two different people that were attached as directors. You had Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, and it was still based on the Lawrence Kasdan, Jonathan Kasdan uh, screenplay. But somewhere along the lines, there were some creative differences, and I, 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 I'm not entirely sure if Kathleen Kennedy, who was kind of serving as the executive producer, didn't like where it was going, but she up and fired the directors and. They had about three weeks remaining of principal photography, and they they went and essentially hired uh, Ron Howard to complete the task. The only problem was, based on the 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 vibe and everything that had that they had already done, didn't necessarily gel. So Ron Howard had to essentially reshoot about seventy percent worth of the film, and because of what is it? Um, uh, Directors Guild of America. Originally, Ron Howard wasn't going to take on like, the director's credit. It was still going to go to the original guys. But because the movie was essentially completely reshot, they 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 lost that director's credit, and they I think they ended up getting like producer or executive producer like credits. And Ron Howard got got the overall because at the end of the day, it was more his film, and they kind of changed everything. And furthermore, the the actor Paul Bettany wasn't originally in this movie they actually had who was it michael k williams who was going to be in the movie but due to the uh, the reshooting and the additional screen time michael k williams was obligated to another project so he had to remove um they had to remove his, his part from the film and then they brought in paul bettany to take on that that dryden dryden boss character which i think is kind of interesting but apparently, the whole long story short is there was a lot of behind the scenes crap that was going on, and then they had to drop another somewhere. I think it was like another like seventy million dollars into the like the production budget of this movie. So it, it 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 added up, you know. It the movie just became kind of a a money pit in many ways, and yeah. So just just a little just something I found a little interesting. Nice. Lando has a good line in the show about how he, uh, what a planet it turned out to be a money pit. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. When did you see this movie? I saw it in theaters. I was curious if I saw it with you at Alamo. I couldn't find my ticket stub, so I figured it was probably an Alamo f- film. Just maybe I you know, knew, did it on my phone or something like that. Digital didn't keep the ticket stub. But uh, I imagine I'd just saw when it came out. It came out in 2018, right? Yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. So times were normal. I guess that was, <laughs> who knows where the world's going to turn, but like, I guess that might be the last of the normal times. But uh, yeah, I think I just saw in the theaters. Yeah, the, the movie was released on May 25th of 2018. And it's entirely possible that you and I did see it in theater together. I wouldn't be shocked if we, you know, if, if we if we did. But fun fact, the movie, as stated, came out on May 25th in 2018. The original Star Wars was also released on May 25th, but of course, 1977. But both the original Star Wars and Solo 
were released on the same day, which I think is kind of a fun little fact. Did you see any other parallels with the original Star Wars and Solo? Um, I mean, there were there. I think there were like several little Easter eggs in a lot, but obviously, it had to do with the, the Millennium Falcon. And I think that's really kind of one of the things that I find fun is the fact that even though this movie was made, I don't want to do the math, but uh, now I'm doing math: 87, 97, 97, 17. So forty, you know, forty some odd years after the original. This one, different, different cast and everything like that, but this one felt more authentic and it, it felt more like a star wars movie at least to me it you know maybe it's because you had the millennium falcon and you had that familiar um you know the the familiar score and everything that they that they used in it and you had the these characters but yeah i i this one i don't i don't think this movie was perfect and i think this is a lot of this movie is kind of like fan service i think this movie is, is pretty safe i don't think there was any they, they took too many risks in the movie but it's a fun ride and i think for an origin story i, I think they they checked all the boxes but they still provided a couple little bits of information that, that i think that still expand the world like i had never heard of coaxium and i mean now i mean coaxium essentially is that that fuel that you need for for hyperspace right i mean it's so you know that's that's what they use you know to to do that it was essentially understanding that that would help with the with the rebellion before there was a rebellion. So you have those little those little nods to it, and there are a few other little Easter eggs that that bridge that gap, which I think think were really well done. So yeah, I, to answer your question in a round uh, in a long way, yeah, I did I did see uh, some other you know parallels. What about you? Did you, what what did you see? What did you think of when you were watching this in in relation to the original trilogy or even the prequels for that matter? Uh, yeah, I, I thought the dynamics with the team, whereas Han coming on board, he, he's like Luke. And instead of Obi-Wan, you got Becker as uh, kind of the mentor. You still have Chewie, but Lando's kind of like Han. And you have Kira, who's kind of like Leia. So I felt like that a lot of the dynamics within the Falcon team was good and cool. Um but the whole thing with the tie-in with the the previous ones is just with Darth Maul, um, and how he comes up at the end. But knowing that he's involved, I think plays a big part into how cool P Paul Bentley can be, because a lot of his uh, the things they do with his face and the scars and the flare-ups and stuff. Once you know that he's involved with Darth Maul, you kind of see how the dark forces are moving in them and uh so uh but yeah i i thought i thought it was a cool movie i thought that's it did a good job of parallel and it that's i think you did a good job of ex just explaining um uh, like how they kind of play, paid homage to the original film whereas phantom menace w wasn't able to do that like this this one i felt like it it did a better job of checking off the boxes when it comes to a Star Wars film. Um, and I thought it checked off all the bark boxes. It's a fun ride. And uh, so it's a good movie. Yeah. And it, it, it's fun in the way that like an origin story, because it wasn't just, you know, Han Solo's origin story or Chewbacca's origin story, but you see the Millennium Falcon in 
in its heyday before it got busted up, you know, on that, that Kessel run, which by the way, we now know about the Kessel run. And more importantly, the Kessel run actually makes sense where for decades, the idea of the Kessel run never made sense because the whole idea is a parsec, you know, like the, the whole thing that he was able to do the Kessel run in 12 parsecs. I mean, that, that doesn't mean anything, you know, a parsec is a, like, is a unit of distance. It's not, you know, it's not measured in time. So when you, when you say that and, and you try to use that in the idea of speed, you know, that, that it's, it, it doesn't make sense. It's like saying that, you know, I, I am so fast. I can run from end zone to end zone in only 50 yards where that, that, that doesn't make sense. You know, like an end zone is a hundred is a hundred yards. Speed has no bearing in, in, in units of distance, but the way that they explained in this one is kind of that idea of a shortcut, you know, that they were able to not necessarily, um, travel through time, but they kind of like broke a, a distance barrier by going through that little, that kind of like vortex type thing, which that was never explained. So there, it, it's funny because there've been like, uh, scientists and physicists, uh, physicists that have talked about like the idea of doing something in 12 parsecs. I mean, it means nothing. It's, it's like, was it like 19 trillion miles, you know, like that's what like a parsec is or, or something like some crazy thing. So to say that you're able to do something in only 12 parsecs, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So I love that they were able to now put it in the, in, or at least frame it in a way that makes sense scientifically. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes into the world building. Like another box that this show checked off was that they built in the world and kind of, they brought that into it and they brought coaxium into it. I was thinking with your idea of, or analogy of like a, running back going end zone to end zone it's just like you know he went 30 yards at a 45 degree angle so it's like it's it's, it's Mm three-dimensional is what you're kind of explaining and that's that's really cool i like how you explained it it made me gave me a better understanding of it it was also kind of fun to see what a millennium falcon under lando looked like because it was a little bit more flashier the insides were a little bit different it almost like looked like there were like a racing stripes on, on the, like the millennium Falcon, like externally. And, and obviously it had all of its panels where the, the millennium Falcon, when they always talk about like the, this bucket of bolts, you know, they, they always beat up the millennium Falcon. And it's just, that's all like, I never really understood. Well, what should it have looked like? And then with this one, you, you see a pristine millennium Falcon, which, you know, that, that was fun to get, to get its origin story. Yeah. I like how Han calls it, you know, a junk before he sees it and he comes around the corner. But what's he like talking about like the origin story, Chewbacca, Han Solo, the Millennium Falcon. Those are the three characters in this. We spoke before about uh, the uh, hero's journey. There's a cool scene in the uh, transportation uh, station uh, and literally the Empire is saying, it's just like, come join up. And I would say that's the coming or the, uh, was it, what's it called? Call, call to action. Is that right? Is that the call to action in this film? In a matter of speaking. Yeah. I mean, you could, let's see. So, I mean, if we break down the entire hero's journey, I mean, it, it's, 
we don't where the difference between Han Solo's origin story and Luke Skywalker is Luke Skywalker like refused that call. Like he didn't want to leave, you know, like, Oh, I got, I got, I've got chores. I can't go off, you know, into, into space where Han Solo on the other side, all he wanted was to get off that rock. All he wanted was, was to leave. And the, so his call to action I mean, I mean, it's a literal call, like, "Hey, come join." So he literally does join. But they were they were already in. They were already. I'm trying. I'm, I'm now. I'm just trying to put because he decided to join after he was separated from Kira. Correct. Yeah, and just I guess quick overview of the first ten minutes or whatever it's just like he's on the the drive out there and he says to her on the bridge he's like i want to become a pilot so maybe that's the moment and then they get Mm -hmm. to the transportation station they grab her he gets in and then we get to the scene where um he's alone he's in a corner he's backed up and he hears you know come join and that's his way out yeah yeah and so his motivation is obviously to get out so he can get a ship and he can come back and, and get her off the planet, you know, so that that's his, his journey originally is to do these things to be able to go back and rescue his, his girlfriend. And, you know, he runs into Beckett and Val and Chewbacca and all, you know, all these other, you know, all the, all these other characters and they, they have a job and like many other Western films, you know, the, the job goes awry and it's like, all right, well now we have to go, you know, we have to pay the piper. Right. So they, they go and meet Dryden Voss and he's about to kill them. Well, even before he's about to kill them, lo and behold, Kira is also on the same yacht. So now he doesn't have to go back to Corellia to rescue her because she's right there, but he needs to rescue her in some way. And, she tries to, and she has to rescue him in a different way. And, but again, they, they, they run into the, the, the boss that basically says, you've got this task, you know, you still owe me the shipment that you, that you lost and then some. So they're put up against a, this idea where they have to get this thing of coaxium, which is kind of the little widget that we're tracking throughout this movie, which is essentially like a, a coal, you know, like a, like a space coal that you, you use for, for uh, light speed and everything. I, I was thinking about how coaxium also could be thought of as like a drug and like Scarface where like you small, you started as a small criminal where Han stole just like a little vial. Like to give my, like they, they held him up. He ran away and they like, they mugged me, but he stole, he'd already stolen that vial. They were probably looking for where that vial right. went. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he was, but like his answer was like, we'll pay it back. Then he meets up with the other crew that job goes awry and their answer is we'll pay it back. <laughs> like mm-hmm. he just, it's the cycle repeating itself over and over again. Yeah. This movie does a lot of fun things. And again, it, it, it's pretty safe. You know, I, I don't think there are any, I, I think if you're, I mean, the, the cynic in you would say, well, you know, Han Solo is a bit more of a, a scoundrel and he's not to be trusted, et cetera, et cetera. That, where in this one, you, you know, you, you meet a younger Han who seemed maybe a little bit more optimistic where the original star Wars, even though it was made 40 years ago, it takes place 10 years after this particular one. So, I mean, a lot happens to Han between the closing credits of this versus the, 
the Han that we meet in the original, in the original Star Wars. But that being said, you get, you get a couple, a couple things. And I don't, I don't, I'm trying to figure out if I want to, yeah, screw it, I'm going to talk about it. So his, his Han is obviously Beckett played, uh, played by Woody Harrelson. Fun fact, Woody Harrelson wasn't originally going to be the Beckett. It was going to be Christian Bale, but which I think would have given an entirely different movie. But I think it, it, it's great that they use Woody Harrelson. It's an older actor. It gives him a little bit more of that that sage idea, or that that uh, that sage character. You know, that mentor, that that his Obi Wan, as you as you stated. You know, just his older guy that's kind of like teaching him the ways. But Beckett isn't a good guy. You know, he's a scoundrel, and he gives him he gives him a couple lessons. But the main lesson that he teaches him throughout the whole movie is to never trust anybody. Don't trust anybody. And um, Han Sharp, and he he learned that. And I love at the end of the movie, Beckett was going to give him a second uh, a second lesson. But I think I think Han anticipated what that second lesson is. And then we've got that that thing that drives uh, many Star Wars fans crazy, which is the which is the what Han shot first. Han shot first, exactly, exactly. This one, yeah. this movie, Han, Han shot first. first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that might've been the, the second lesson that Beckett was going to give him, you know, like here's like the most important, you know, lesson. Always like, shoot, has, always shoot first. Always shoot first. Never yeah. hesitate. Never yeah. hesitate. I started thinking a lot while watching this of like characteristics of Han, because it's his story. And it's just like, he's a fast talker. He's a quick thinker. He runs first, but he will fight if he has to. And he mm-hmm. is brave. Uh, but he's a thief. Uh, the, the, those are some of the characteristics that I thought this film portrayed him, and I thought they did it throughout throughout the film. I thought they did a good job. Um, one of the cool things I thought was he has a scene with uh, is Donald Glover or Danny Glover or Donald Glover, right? Donald. Yeah, it, uh, plays Lando. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he gets a quick little scene where he's talking about his dad and uh, how he got laid off and stuff like that. But he used to build the Falcons. So that plays into like his dad may have even built the Millennium Falcon that he flies, you know, so that's a part of him. But in the opening scene, whenever he's flying uh, in the ship to get away or his little land cruiser, you just see the factory building Star Destroyers. And he found it out later in this small little scene that his dad got laid off. So it's like his dad probably got laid off. So people could come in to build star destroyers for the empire. And that's another like little thing that adds to Han's story of uh, what made his life rough was the empire. They, they impacted him, put him on the street. Absolutely. What else about this movie sticks with you? I mean, I think it's a pretty simple story at the end of the day. I mean, you're, you're learning a little bit about it, but are there any like underlying themes or anything that, that you, that when the, when the credits roll that you're like, this is something that you kind of lean toward or something that you think of specifically about this film. The thing I picked up more this watching was how much of those like Sith stories being told with Dryden Vosk and how he is probably Darth Maul's apprentice because Darth Maul, I reckon Palpatine took on Darth uh, Dooku basically as his apprentice. So Darth Maul was left on the outside. So he's building his own crime syndicate. Uh, There's a part where 
um, the girl from Memphis Ness or whatever, it says like there's five syndicates. I think the Hutts won. So there's a lot of those, but with Dryden Vosk and Kira being his chief lieutenant, I think she's kind of like a Padawan and he is a, uh, I guess like, what do you call it? The apprentice to the Sith and then Darth Maul is the, the master. So I think, I kind of feel like if you look to it, you can see a lot of that. Um, his little knife is a dual blade, which is kind of like Darth Maul. So I, 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 I think the underlying parts of the Sith in the background in the empire you get more like stormtroopers talking. I think that's pretty cool. And it kind of sets up in the part where the empire's taken over. So that would be my great takeaway with this film. Yeah. I, I think that all that is good as you were saying that just made me think of a couple other elements because of the fact that earlier I had mentioned the fact that this movie costs a lot of money, you know, and then they had to do the reshoots. In fact, all things told the movie, you know, cost, about $250 million for its budget. And then to promote the movie and do all those other things in the back end, it was about another 150. So you're looking about $400 million tied into this movie. It's also the least successful Star Wars film in the box office in the United States. It made maybe 250 million and like another like 130 or so like worldwide. So the movie internationally total gross was about 390 million and just for the studio essentially to break even they would have had to do like half a billion dollars so the movie was technically technically a flop even though critically it had 69 percent, which you know on the rotten tomatoes meter that would be considered a good movie audience uh, scores were also pretty mixed around 64 percent. so it it wasn't a it wasn't necessarily a, a box office beater and it wasn't a critical darling and this movie has a couple like open ended things that happen in the film and what i'm curious is if they if they had an idea that they would have continued on with this story or if it was always going to be just a little standalone because we 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 introduced kira and we have kind of like a little crazy ending. What, what are your What are your thoughts? Where Where do you think uh, this was headed? I would I would I would like a trilogy. We're only three years out. I think Kira is a good character, and I would really be interested to see what happens with her and Infus Ness, who's another strong female character in the movie who could have a cool dual scene fight with her. Um, I think. Kira and the dynamics with Trident Vosk are real interesting and what's the that plays into the Sith. At. But I think that's where this film succeeded and the Phantom Menace failed is that when I watched this, I'm like, man, I could see another trilogy. And, uh, you know, like this one hit all the hallmarks of, you know, the original film or like striking the chords, but there's still a lot of opening or at least, um, and it's just such a strong cast too. I love Lando. Um, I want to talk about L3 just because like L3, mm -hmm. she's a bit of a hybrid between C3PO and R2D2. Right. And she has a great line in a scene with Clint Howard, uh, which, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, but she, you know, where she's like, they don't even serve our kind here, <laughs> which 
we'll we'll get to Star Wars, and we'll, I guess we'll have to talk about how droids have had less rights since the Empire. But uh, but she gets they they bring her into the part of the ship, and so that's one of the cool things with. I guess like L3 and the origin story in the Millennium Falcon is she's part of the Falcon. When C3PO talks later about like, you're, you know, she has a peculiar language. I like to think L3 is a part of that. And I want to just say one last thing. When she's running a little rebellion on the heist, uh, she like, uh, Lena's just like, what's happening? And she's like, it's a rebellion. I found my true calling. And which makes me think that now she's part of the Millennium Falcon and the Millennium Falcon mm-hmm. is the rebellion. And like, so that's telling a story that's building on the world exactly. and, and the story exactly. in the right way. And that is, I mean, that, that's some really good stuff. I mean, simply put the fact that again, they, they, they do a good job of, even though this is a little standalone story, they do a good job of bringing it into the world and giving you just enough nuggets to know where this fits into the rest of the, into the rest of the story. Now regarding um, uh, L337, that robot was, uh, our droid was uh, uh, the actress Phoebe Waller-Bridge. If for those that are familiar with the, the, uh, the show Fleabag, that is the star of that. And she was recently just cast in the, the, the brand new Indiana Jones movie that's coming out either next year or 2023. So there's another, yep. John, you look a little shocked. You didn't know that was coming. Yeah. There's a brand new Indiana Jones movie that is coming and Phoebe Waller bridge, the, the actress that plays L337. She'll be, she'll be in that movie. So we'll see, you know, we'll see how that goes. I don't know if Spielberg is directing it or not, but Indy is coming back. What about Bud? I don't know. I don't know if you're going to get anybody else. I it's, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Indiana Jones later, but I don't know. I, all I know is that she was cast. That's really the only thing they mentioned. But uh, another fun thing about L337 is this movie finally answers the questions that everybody had been wanting to know. Can humans and droids do it? And apparently they can. Um, as uh, as, uh, as uh, L337 says, it works. Well, did this movie decide if the Millennium Falcon truly belongs to Han Orlando? Because I feel like, yes, uh, it he won it twice. He should have mm-hmm. won it the first time he was cheated. He did win it the second time. The Millennium Falcon belongs to Han. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I think one of the things that's cool with L3 being part of the ship is when Lando's like, you know, he loves that ship. It's like, you know, he really does love that ship. <laughs> he really loves that ship. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Clint yeah. Howard, another, a great little fun cameo. Well, one of the things I thought was nice was you get this scene with L3 and Kira. And it's one that I, I thought to myself, it's like, it's probably one of the only scenes in all of Star Wars where you get a couple of female actresses kind of talking to each other a little, you know, off the cuff about boys. Like, I, I can't think mm-hmm. of any other scene like that. But no. No, that that's really interesting. I didn't even I did I remember watching it and thinking that there were, you know, two females talking, but no, there aren't any other scenes in this, at least certainly in the the first four that we saw, and not in the original trilogy, maybe in the episode seven, eight, nine. 
there might have been something with Leia and Ray, but I mean, but this is the first time chronologically that I, you know, that that, that that's happened. So that's really interesting. Um, you know, obviously we mentioned a lot of people in the cast, and we were talking about Paul Bettany a little while ago. And a fun thing, those um those marks on his face, Paul Bettany didn't even know that was gonna be part of his character until Ron Howard showed him, you know, like the, like the afters and everything. He didn't know that he was going to have like these marks on his face or anything, which is kind of cool. And not only does he have these marks on, on his face, but they change colors depending on his emotion, you know, which is kind of, which is kind of interesting. Um, Clint Howard obviously is in this movie in a cameo because every, I think it's like part of Clint's contract with his brother that everything that Ron Howard does, Clint has to have a little cameo in it, you know? So this goes back to just about everything that Ron Howard has done. Oh, oh, so, um, so Ron Howard directed this. This isn't the first Lucasfilm that Ron Howard has directed. Can you think of another Lucasfilm art uh, or Lucasfilm picture that Ron Howard directed? Willow? Willow. Willow's absolutely correct. Now, of course, he, uh, Ron Howard's worked with George Lucas. He was in, you know, the, uh, the American graffiti film and then like the follow up he was in. But from a directing standpoint, the, you know, he, he directed this and he directed Willow, which. Speaking, as we're speaking of Willow, we should give a shout out to Warwick Davis. Thank you. In this film, mm-hmm. yeah, got him back in. Not only does he get to show his face as opposed to being an Ewok, but he actually gets a line of dialogue because he was in uh, the Phantom Menace. He was, you know, up with like the huts or whatever, you know, but he doesn't say anything. He's just kind of a glorified extra. In this one, he actually gets a line of dialogue. He, he played Wicked and as an Ewok, but, he, you know, he is like, yep, yep. You know, he doesn't actually have his own like words where this one Warwick Davis finally got to say something on camera in a star Wars film. And that's when he puts the tracer on. He's like, we'll find them at whatever. Or No, no, no. Uh, Warwick Davis was. No, I, I know. I, well, I know he is, mm-hmm. but he's also the character when they're having the gambling. Oh, scene, right. mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. the one who goes in and spies. He's the one who comes out and tells right. the lady. Mm-hmm. So I was figuring that was his first time he spoke. Yeah, I, I, I completely missed that. I was just thinking about the end when I forget his line of dialogue. It was pretty arbitrary, but I, I forgot that he was um, was in it earlier in the film as well. But well, he had a mask on. Maybe it was somebody yeah. else. Yeah, but... maybe, maybe. Yeah, uh, maybe this time he had a stand in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, another little interesting observation. This is the only Star Wars film that never once uttered the line, may the force be with you, or or there uh, there was no reference, or maybe that line was shown, that was uttered maybe, but there certainly wasn't ever any instance of the word Jedi being mentioned in it. So this is the only star Wars where that wasn't referenced. And that's world building, right? Like, mm-hmm. cause whenever mm-hmm. the, he meets Han, he doesn't know any, any kind of thing. I think, well, I kind of want to speak a little bit more about Kira, Dryden Voss, the Sith, that they're, they're kind of the major roles uh, in the Jedi force into this. Uh, but 
you're right. Like that's a really cool idea, and it really adds to who who Aunt Han is. Do you, there's a a line that Becker. So Becker tells Han he heard about a job in Tatooine, a big job, and that's where that's where I guess the story would go to. Now I don't know if that's soon enough to where that would put him in trouble with the hut to where he'd be meeting up with Luke at the next point. Cause we got, I guess what, 10 years now. Yeah. And I, I throw that term like 10 years out just based on just, you know, some of like the, the context clues and things like that. But I assume it's like another decade from the events of this movie into the beginning of the, the original. But I think the big job essentially is now he's going to be working with the huts, you know, and yeah. he's got to do a couple good jobs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he, his life can't just be complete failure until the rebellion. Like he's got to be on a winning streak. Yeah. He has to be on a winning streak because of the fact that when we meet him, the only thing he gives a shit about is money. That's the only thing because he's got debt. He's got enormous debt. You know, that that's in, about in what he has to pay back Java in the original oh. star Wars. So a lot happens uh, between I the imagine. end of this movie. And when we meet up with him where he's a little bit more cynical and a little bit, you know, just kind of just skeptical of the entire world. He, you know, he's had a lot of bad luck and things well, like that. It seems like the same dilemma Becker was in, right? Like exactly. he'd, he'd failed on a job, mm-hmm. but I mean, let's say he goes to Tatooine He's gonna meet. He's gonna meet uh, who? Bubba, right? Him, Bubba, Chewie. Like that's a pretty good crew to start with. Kira would be in the film. Uh, oof. Um. So at that point, maybe that's when Darth Maul somehow comes to Tatooine, and and involves Obi Wan. Yeah. In this Obi-Wan, Darth Maul. Yeah, because I don't see any scenario where they do another another film just based on the fact that this movie, as stated before, it lost them money. You know, I, I so I think the the next chapter, if we get more of Kira or if we get more of a younger Han, it's gonna come in like the Disney Plus Avenue. You're gonna, you know, it'll be potentially on that Obi-Wan show that's gonna be coming out. This year, I think. I think it's coming out this year. I think we're going to be getting... And you and I have talked off uh, off air about what the show is going to be. And I and I, and I don't know. I, I just... I don't know what the show is going to be. But it would be nice if, if the show does incorporate some of these unanswered questions because of the fact that they're... They do. They open up a lot of interesting things. And we now know that Darth Maul somehow survived being split in half. You, you now know that Darth Maul is, you know, is going to be working close with Kira. Now, I don't know if um, Amelia Clark is going to be contracted onto, onto this show. We already know that the Obi-Wan show is going to be Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader. And I'm kind of curious what that's going to look like because of the fact that Darth Vader wears a mask. So are we going to see Hayden Christensen kind of being like the way that, um, shit, what was his name? Uh, Ben, Ben Sola. What was his, um, what was his character's name where he doesn't wear a mask like the majority of the time. But, um, 
um, because you had Ray and what the hell is Obi-Wan's, uh, not Obi-Wan, what is Han Solo and Princess Leia's kid? It's Ben. Ky- Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren, thank you. So Kylo Ren, you know, walks around without his helmet on like all the time in the movie, yet he has a helmet. But Hayden Christensen's playing Darth Vader. So we're going to see Darth Vader walking around like all mangled up without his helmet. I don't know. I don't know. But he's cast as a like a co-lead on this show. And I'm just I, I just don't know what that what that looks like, because you're not going to have this Obi-Wan story take place before the events of what we've already seen. You're, you're, there's already a cartoon that has done that. Flashbacks. Flashbacks. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. I, you know, I mean, you, uh, to use a phrase that we like to use it when we're talking about soccer, you got to play the game. So <laughs> in, in this way, you got to wait and see, Ooh. we just have to wait well, and see how it's going to go. Well, I think it's funny to hear about how Paul Bentley didn't know about the marks on his face. Cause I bet when Ron Howard showed him, he's like, I've already, I've worked so hard to resurrect my career. And now you're going to put that on my face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I like, well, it's already, it's already fully covered in red. I guess half cut of red is not too bad. Yeah. Uh, but for people who are looking for something to watch, if they got Disney plus WandaVision is fun. I don't know if you're going to cover it with any of your buds, but what I found interesting about WandaVision, just on a little side note, sidebar, whatever, each episode, it kind of covers a different type of uh, genre. So uh, it, it's just kind of like Leave it a Beaver or the 90s or the 80s or the 70s or the 60s. And it's kind of like you, if you were really into kind of like TV or uh, the Cosby's or something like that, like you'd be able to see within each episode, it's like, oh, that's a call to that or that's a call to this. A lot of really cool call-ins to uh, Paul Bittany's and WandaVision. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen it. I will. I will. But now... My friend, the time has come. You're going to be put on the hot seat. Are you ready? Okay. All right. It's, uh, been a lot. it's been a minute since we've done this. Okay. I've got five questions for you. I'll start off with an easy one for you. Okay. What is the name of the card game that is featured in this movie that Han and Lando play? Sabak. Sabak is correct. That is correct. Question number two. What type of ship is the Millennium Falcon? Aurelian. Okay. Can uh, you a little, a little uh, more? Uh, cargo transporter. Uh, yeah. The, the technical term is it is a YT-1300F light freighter. Light freighter. Okay. YTFF. Gotcha. Question number three. What was the name of the Wookiee that Chewie meets on Kessel? Uh, Sagwa. No. I, Were you going to say that? Not that close. It was going to start with a C, but it it wasn't going to be Zagba. It was going to be like Zognar. Something yeah, like so, that. Yep. So sad. Uh, I was thinking about th- there's a uh, there's a human running around who keeps yelling his name out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I I would have gotten close. Warwick Davis obviously has a cameo in this movie. We've already mentioned Warwick Davis, but he's appeared in many other Star Wars films. In fact, not in fact. 
how many Star Wars movies has Warwick official Star Wars? We're not going to count the Ewok individual movies, but actual Star Wars films. How many Star Wars films has Warwick Davis been in? Seven. Can you name them or are you just throwing that out there? You're just throwing that out there? Okay, well, you know, what, what do you got? Well, Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And a Menace. You got mm-hmm. this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's, that's all I got off the top of my head. But seven is what I'm going with. So, technically seven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> technically, but one of which was deleted. So, he was deleted out of The Last Jedi, but he was in um the the force awakens and then he plays wicket again at the at the at the end of the the rise of skywalker so there you go so six seven whatever however you want to look at that so i'll give it to you i'll give it to you but one of those he was deleted in uh i gotta tell you i was really kind of judging how many movies there was and how many he would play a part in and so it's kind of just like let's just say half mm-hmm. somewhere around <laughs> half that, that was how i was doing the math that's how i do math and now i've already i've already given this one away that's okay what lesson does beckett teach han several times besides so like not trusting anybody I mean, always I mean, tr- always it. trust that somebody would betray you mm-hmm. yeah I mean, I wrote these questions before we started, so I wasn't sure if, you know, we were going to get there. So if not too bad, not too bad. Anything else that you specifically want to talk about this movie before we get into some supplemental material? Because I've got a couple, I've got a couple, not hot topic questions, but a couple, a couple interesting conversational piece questions that I would love to raise to your attention. So if you've got anything else of substance regarding this movie, what do you have? No. I, I think I would be happy to see a trilogy out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought there was plenty enough in character development and stuff. Um, I agree. The only other last little thing I was going to try to bring in was something about the train robbery scene and the great train robbery mm-hmm. and train robbery scenes in cinema. So that, that would be like the only other thing from my notes that I was going to bring up. I mean, this movie seemed to also be like really heavily inspired by Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I mean, you can get a real like Butch Cassidy vibe within this one as well. And I think maybe that's another reason why I enjoy this movie. Another reason why I also think that it's not perfect because it, it, it at times it, it feels like movies you've already seen before. You know, it doesn't really necessarily feel like you're breaking any new ground or there's anything really spectacular but at the end of the day it's a fun ride i enjoy the movie i think it's fun i would watch this movie again i think i've seen it a few times at this point but it's not without its flaws but it what it does well i think it does really well i would have i think i would have enjoyed to see some some risks taken here or there but overall i'd give it i'd give it a good i'd give it a solid I'd give it a B. If I were to grade, I'd give it a B grade. Yeah, well, there's no pressure on this movie. Mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. and the world's going to keep building. So I think it's nice to have like a let off. I know 
in watching this movie being prepped for this, there's no pressure whatsoever. Like the other, the other trilogy, I guess not, not that there should have been pressure on those either, but like, it, it just seems like it's more in line with whatever the, the, the main storyline is, but right. the story is going to continue to build. I'd like to see a trilogy where Sally Kira somehow passes away and, you know, it has to do, I, I think her story in some ways, once again, as a Sith reflects how the tie to Han is what was wrong. And that kind of reflects Anakin and his tie or Luke and his ties to Han and Leia. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to see where the, the world keeps going, but it's okay to just have like a fun movie every once in a while. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. One thing I like about this movie, well, there are several things I like about this movie, but specifically one of the things I like about this movie and there, um, his, uh, bad hair, both Beckett and Val have some really, really poor, poor hair in this movie. And, um, so, I was trying to think if if uh, if you can think of any other badass characters in film history with some really terrible hair. Badass characters in movie history. You mentioned Val. We did. I don't, did we? I guess you did mention her in the cast, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah, it's a great job. Uh, hair. I love her. Well, and then. In a way, like, what if their hairstyle was suited because they're the old regime? Maybe this is just mm. me supporting the Lucasisms, you know, mm. like trying to give Lucas too much credit, but like that would be a cool idea. Like they're from the 70s, 80s, or something. Uh, so I can't pick a movie from like the 70s or 80s, like, or like American Gangster or something like that. Right. So a movie with just like bad hair. So, like, like a character with a like a badass character with bad hair. I'll give you just an example of one. For example, so No Country for Old Men, Anton Chigurh, uh, the, okay. like the, the bad guy in that movie, horrible, horrible hair, but one of like the scariest villains ever. But I, so I was just trying to think of other characters that were that were cool on screen, but just had like what is this hair? I just don't. I can't like hair that is just inex- like. Um, What's well, a, Bill Murray uh, and Kingpin. Oh my God, that is so good. <laughs> yeah, so like good. what's it, Big Earn yeah, or, or, <laughs> or something like that? Mm-hmm. You know, Man, just the ultimate comb it's, over. It's yeah, so and Woody Harrelson, I guess as well. And Woody Harrelson, yeah, but, Woody Harrelson, yeah. I guess you could have like a whole conversation of just movies with Woody Harrelson's hair. Bald, bald, long comb overs. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but uh, yeah, like bad you, movie hair with a good. I was gonna say, like you, Woody Harrelson is blessed with like a good shaped head. Like Woody Harrelson can rock it bald, like Natural Born Killers. He has no hair, and it works on when your hair is shaved. You, it, it works on you. I've got like this weird shaped dome that, like, if I were bald, it would it would be a, it would probably be a scary sight. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can I can see that. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> well, I think the advantage I have at six five. If I shave my head, ninety percent of the world's not gonna see the top of it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like I, I don't gotta worry. I can just keep walking around mm-hmm. in the clouds. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, shaggy hair, bad hair days. 
All right. Another thing that this movie is really good at is the fact that you've got sidekicks all over the place, right? You've got, okay. you've got Han and Chewie. You've got Beckett and Val. You've got uh, you've got uh, Kira, you know, to to Dryden Voss. You've got Lando and L three, right? Sidekick, sidekick, sidekick. All sorts of sidekicks in this movie. So I'm, I'm curious. Do you have any favorite on screen sidekicks? Spock. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's 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 pretty. Uh, that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I love uh, Stephen and Amish from Braveheart. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can have dual sidekicks. Uh, Doc Holliday and Tombstone. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think about Untouchables, like Elliot Ness. Oh well, instead of that, instead of that, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Aziz, the Great One. Mm, okay. Uh, Morgan Morgan Freeman. Right. Um, right. I'm with you. Yeah. So I I would say those are some of my favorite sidekicks. Okay. Let me, let me see here. So I've got a few and you can just let me know what your thoughts are. So obviously Chewie doesn't count because it's a little bit too obvious, but what do you think about Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings? That, that guy is almost, (laughs) Frodo should have let him carry the ring a little bit like that. That guy was half a slave. Um, <laughs> he worked his ass off. Mm-hmm. He, sorry, sorry, dropping the A bomb. Uh, but he worked so hard and just kept getting yelled at. Things I see myself as a Samwise Gimji, and I wouldn't want to go through that. I wouldn't right. want to be cast for that role. So mm-hmm. I, I would say no to Samwise. I don't like okay. Samwise. I think he does too much for Frodo. Okay, so not a sidekick. He 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 does too much. Okay, how about this one? Hermione Granger. She's great. She's yeah, she's great. Um, where I was like, I like Amish and Stephen from Braveheart. I like Ron and Hermione mm-hmm. from Harry Potter. But and that's one thing with this movie. If they want to do a trilogy, I think it's set up where like Hans the risk taker. And then, like, Kira is very much like the analytical one. She's the one who's like, you're not going to make it through the tunnel. And he didn't make it through the tunnel. And then Donald's, like, the tech-savvy one, kind of like Donatello. And then she was the muscle. It's like, they, they got a good crew right there. Mm-hmm. Just think, Ron Howard, just Ron Howard, if you want to make two more movies, I'm for you. And 69% of Rotten Tomatoes is also in favor of you doing it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Got a few more. I've got a few more sidekicks for you before I move on. Um, Doc Brown, back you know, Back to the Future. That's a pretty hell of a sidekick right there. But is oh, he a yeah. is he a sidekick or a mentor? Can you be both? I think you can be both. Is, I also think is, that, like you, okay. like I also think that a sidekick can also be almost like a co lead. Like for example, Bill and Ted. I think they're each other's sidekick. That well. That is an infinite cosmology being <laughs> that we can never know. Like that is a, that's a wild one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, 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 I would say, well, I was going to say, I disagree. I guess within the rule of the story, I think you have a sidekick and you have a mentor. I don't think that. I, I think there's a story for the mentor to, to be the sidekick 
for the hero once he's taken his place. Um, you mentioned Harry Potter or Hermione. There's a one of my favorite parts is whenever uh, Harry and Dumbledore go to the tower. It's right whenever Dumbledore dies, but you get this awesome part, and they get in the books is written so well where they catch their broomsticks and they go boom, boom, and they ride off. And you realize it's these like two knights flying into the danger and you know, and then you don't get the story of Dumbledore being able to help Harry later in life. And I wish there was a story of, yeah, where the mentor all of a sudden gets to come back around and, and be the uh, supporting role sidekick. I don't think Doc Brown's the sidekick. I think he's the mentor. But, but you know film better than me. Okay, here's the here. This might be the ultimate sidekick right here. Buzz Lightyear. Why? Because it's a cartoon? You're shaking your head because he's a cartoon? Well, I think he's a, he's a co-lead. I, I don't think he's a sidekick. Mm. Any, any more than Woody's a sidekick. No, Woody, you're tracking Woody. It's Woody's journey. All the movies, every single movie from place some from short story one. And, and I haven't seen all the toy stories. Yeah. So but, you're, the plot that you're following is always through the eyes of, of Woody. And it's really not until toy story four where basically yeah, I'm, I'm not actually, I'm not going to spoil toy story Four or anything like that, but no, the, the perspective is always through the eyes of Woody. Even if uh, buzz is the one that's in danger we're always tracking it through the eyes of Woody. Okay. Well, um, okay, here, okay, fine. Here's one we can all agree on. Luigi. Yeah. He's the ultimate psychic to Mario, right? I mean, he's... Yeah. I'd agree with that. Inigo Montoya? <laughs> uh, but I always thought that Andre the Giant was his sidekick. Mm. Um, but yeah. Okay, and, and finally, your ultimate inanimate, wait, inanimate, inanimate object, Wilson Castaway. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the ultimate sidekick right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was trying to think about Batman, some of the Robin, Robin stuff, yeah. but man, like even, even the Dark Knight Rising, like just Jordan. Joseph Gordon-Levis isn't really Robin. He's not really a sidekick in the movie. <laughs> and Hathaway's a sidekick in the movie. Right. So, yeah, it, yeah. Good question. Yeah. yeah. Another thing that this movie does is it has a fun time with like, I don't know if fun time is a word to, that I want to use, but uh, betrayals. You, you see several characters betrayed in this movie, right? I mean... Uh, Beckett betrays uh, betrays Han. Han in the end kind of betrays Beckett by shooting him. Kira uh, um, betrays Dryden by by killing him. Kira kind of betrays Han by leaving him. You know, so you you kind of see the these acts of betrayals like all Han, throughout the movie. Han might have betrayed Lady Proxima, but not yep. given mm-hmm. over a, yep. one single vial that yep. might have got him out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like betrayal, betrayal. And of course, when you've got a whole movie where basically you're tracking different bad guys. And although the one thing that's fun about this movie is that Kira says that she knows, you know, the, the one thing about Han or something of that nature that he's well, not. A, he, oh, go ahead. 
Well, you, you you just asked me about something to mention. I really do want to talk a little bit more about Amelia Clark and Kira. Okay. She she just she she does a great job. At, but whenever they steal the coaxium and the highs and stuff like she throws the like the grenades out there and kills everybody constantly. Paul Bentner's just like you don't know the things that she has done, and then she tells Hans, "You don't know like." that's a character I really want to learn more about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, yeah, sorry to stop you on that. I just, I just want to touch base on just it. When whoever listened to this, whenever they rewatch the movie next time, just she, she's a very interesting character. She's very strong. She, I think one of the cool things she's always wearing black or red, which her ties to the cis and stuff like that. And, one of those things at the end of the movie, whenever like Darth Maul pulls his lightsaber, which is kind of dumb because it gets a lightsaber in the film, right? There's mm-hmm. still there's still yet to be a Star Wars movie without a lightsaber, right? Yeah, that is true. And I, I was thinking about that whole Darth Maul thing and showing the the lightsaber. I think maybe maybe part of the reason was doing that is for those that weren't entirely sure that was Darth Maul, but maybe like another similar alien being or whatever. But when you see the double-sided lightsaber, you're like, oh shit. Oh no, that's Darth Maul. Because the last time we saw Darth Maul, he got slit in half. And so if you get slit in half and you don't watch the the cartoons, then you might be a little like confused. Like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Who the fuck is that guy? But then you see the the double-sided lightsaber and you're like, oh, I guess Darth Maul, Darth Maul is still alive. I felt like him using the force pool was him saying like, you're probably going to come be my next apprentice. So she Mm -hmm. might be start. So that might be cool. If she all of a sudden is this young apprentice Jedi who actually has the ability to use the force and a, and a saber, then all of a sudden it's, it's a little bit better of a scene and stuff. Uh, It's leading to something. Yeah. And now only time will tell whether or not she will, if what will happen because now, Amelia Clark was just cast on a like some like brand new Marvel show, so she's going to be on like a Marvel thing or whatever. Really? So, mm-hmm, yeah. Oh man, but that's Disney, right? Yep, it's Disney. Yeah. Well, she's 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 making money by them, so I I think I see. I don't. I mean, if you're working for a company, and I know you you don't know this because you never worked for a major, <laughs> you never worked for Paramount, <laughs> but like. Wouldn't you just be like, but wouldn't you just walk in and be like, Amelia, you're doing such a great job. Don't you want to come do that role? Everybody loves you. Everybody loves you. You should come, you know, do that. We got that Han scene coming on. Don't you Mm -hmm. want to go do that role Mm -hmm. just one time? I mean, I think, I think, I hope she does. I think if the money is right, she'll, she'll come back, but it's just a matter of whether or not they want to, they want to take that chance. Again, I, I go back to the fact that, the movie was perceived as a failure. You know, I, I I don't know if they want to pursue this this arc anymore. They might just find find ways to bridge it within the 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 Obi Wan story, and I think that might be the way that they go if they decide to do it. And if they never do it at all, it'll be a letdown because again, that open ended ending that we give is that they're setting up something that she's going to Dathomir. Darth well, Maul is alive in this, but we never see him again in the the other Star Wars films. So what 
like, where the hell is he? What is he doing? What is she doing? What, what, what is going on on Dapamir? You know, what is their, their end game? So I imagine it, it we're gonna, we're gonna find out more of that information on, and I just think the Disney plus series, like star Wars expanded universe. That's what we're, I think we're going to find out there versus a, uh, an all new motion picture. If they, the next motion picture star Wars does, I think it'll be in a different, a different time frame in some capacity. I don't think it'll be attached to the, the star Wars saga. Well, just in the world we're living in, listen to some of the interviews you've given with some of the eighties child stars, TV used to be the place. It wasn't mm-hmm. movies. It was TV. And without the theaters to be able to go to, it seems like companies like Disney Plus or Hulu or Apple TV would, you know, put their, you know, money and invest into TV shows right now. Right. So we, we very well could, we probably, I mean, we already are on the, like sitting on the edge of the greatest TV ever, right. you know, we were on the, but it could, we could be just seeing great stories develop within TV because that's what they have control over. Mm-hmm. People are going to be hanging out at the house. So yeah, it's exciting. It's going to be it exciting, exciting times. It is exciting. Now to ask that question where I was talking about betrayal, we had mentioned, you know, all the uh, different people that are betrayed in this. Yeah. And I, w- I was thinking, you know, there, there's so many like betrayals. I don't really find any of them necessarily like shocking or, Oh shit, that that's crazy. But there have been a lot of shocking betrayals that have been like filmed in movies. And I'm, and I'm curious what, what is the, the most shocking on screen betrayal that you can think of? Well, Braveheart, mm. <laughs> when Robert, Robert Bruce's yeah. thought was, it was his dad, that old, that old, that <laughs> old guy. I want to say, man, anyways, but yeah, that, that scene always sticks out. Um, but in some ways, train spotting with you and McGregor because he kind of betrays mm-hmm. his friends. That kind of sticks out too. I mean, he does leave a little bit of money for Spud and Who's a? Did you see train spotting too? We saw train spotting too together. <laughs> well, you know that that wasn't a good idea to leave that money to that man, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and sick boy wasn't pissed off because he, you know, if he would have thought at first, he would have done it. It was just basically fucked over Bigby, which, you know, Bigby was a prick. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's a good, that's a good one. Um, I think, I think the, the ultimate or most shocking betrayal is probably Fredo godfather too you know like betraying michael i think i think that's the obvious one i think that one's probably the biggest film betrayal but i don't i still that I, but I, you know, but i, I don't, thought about that as well but fredo in that one you don't get to see the betrayal you don't see the betrayal exactly like it, it's it's all about michael's reaction to the betrayal is what makes it amazing and maybe michael killing fredo like to kill your own brother, maybe that's a betrayal, really. Well, again, you, you know, you never, you know, you, you don't see Michael do anything because he wasn't on the boat. All right, all right, yeah. Uh, but I do, I, you know, I've got, I got a hot, I've got a hot take for you. All right, and I don't know, I don't know if you're ready to hear it. 
but I think quite possibly the biggest betrayal ever because it, it didn't just affect the people that were betrayed in the movie. It affected audiences in a way that people were triggered. People were angry people. People checked out after this. And that is Danny torching King's Landing in, in the form of betrayal. Audiences felt betrayed. They had been following that 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 queen the entire time and she was going to she was going to be good and what happens she goes bad and she she betrayed audiences she betrayed her people uh she uh, betrayed john snow and, and Tyrion, and ev- she be- betrayed everybody and i think that that might be the biggest betrayal ever shown cinematically, whether a television show or film, because again, people, people wrote that show off. You know, there, there was only that episode and another episode people like the first few episodes of season eight, people in all intents and purposes enjoyed it. But the moment that Danny sat King's landing, people were like, fuck this show, fuck this, fuck this, fuck this. And people hate the final season I, I i'm seeing a kind of a curious look you 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 haven't you haven't you haven't run into people that are just livid by danny's reaction or danny's actions was danny just supposed to fly over king's landing and not like use the dragon because because if anybody was watching there's wildfire that has been stored all over king's landing which danny had no idea of jamie lannister knew of it Tyrion knew of it she had no idea. So a lot of those fires that were started came from wildfires saying, yeah, her dad, Aries, had put out there, but they, they weren't her fault, you know? But I I think all those people, what they should do is go do a rewatch and watch how the directors had to slowly take this nice, innocent young girl and turn her into somebody who's a sympathetic woman who has been scorned and how she would be driven to a point where she would almost tear down everything her family had built like that. You know, that's a sad, scary story. It's not a happy one. Yeah. We all want happy stories. So, uh, I, uh, I would disagree with the people who were disappointed in that episode. And there were many, and there were there were there were many people. Yeah. Critics, like I'll critics. tell you what. I'll tell you what. I just want to say one other thing. Most of those people who are vocally critical probably didn't start watching the films till season four, and they powered through it and they got their own opinions. That's what I'll say. They weren't there from day one, and I doubt any of them ever read the books. That's what I'll say about those opinionated people who put it online. Bam! There you go. You heard it first from. From John Bones Row, right there. He is uh, he, he, defensive, he, defensive he, when it comes to Game of Thrones. He's a little defensive when it comes to Game of Thrones. But I wanted to m- mention that one. Like I said, the reason why I put that in there is the fact that you and I, I think have a very similar perspective of the show. I think I think we we we've spoken about before. We're I think there were, I, I think we both like uh, agree that the tempo, you know, felt a little bit rushed at times, but we don't necessarily disagree on the overall outcomes. I think we we thought that's pretty much the the outcomes of everything are pretty much on on point. Jon Snow is is best to be north of the wall and 
and you know uh, brand becoming you know the um sitting on the iron throw isn't completely crazy uh danny not not being uh the, the the queen who was promised or whatever we're not we're not shocked by any of that that all that makes sense to us but but many people that's not what you know that's not the ending that they that they put in there and so from a shocking aspect i that, that's why i wanted to talk about that that danny because again it 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 blew people's freaking minds like people were like burning shit in the streets not literally but like figuratively people people freaked out when when Danny sacked King's Landing because they 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 just couldn't believe it and it's just so funny because of the fact that you would think by eight years of a TV show I'm at like a Carrie Underwood song. It's like, I drug my keys into the side of this four wheel driving. <laughs> like, she's talking about wrecking somebody's ride. <laughs> like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, and not to say guys don't wreck stuff too, you know? It, but yeah, that's, it, once again, put yourself in the idea of Dan and Dave and the producers of they picked up this story and they went six years and there was no more new material, mm-hmm. just the same stuff that they were told from before and how they were going to finish the story off. And part of it's where Danny's going to go, like all the integral characters. Yeah, you're sad about where John went to or where Danny went to or where Arya went to. They don't have they don't they don't have the completed storyline. Um, so I just admire them for finishing the job. I think I, I thought it was a good, I like Game of Thrones. I think it's a good film. And I failed to mention that obviously the, the, the connection between Game of Thrones and Sola where Amelia Clark played Danny. So, yeah. you know, yeah. And she harnesses their inner Danny when she throws those grenades and burns all those people. And, Beck has been telling Han the whole time. It's like, you don't even know her. She kills some people right then and there. A lot mm-hmm. of people. Mm-hmm. She is a dangerous woman. And that's why I want to see that character. Right. And if she's working for Disney Plus, I hate to say it, but it's like, come on. <laughs> like, or, or just give her twice as much money. Come on, Disney Plus. You got it. Yeah. We all know you got it. We all know. I think we've covered this one. Uh, any closing thoughts before we wrap up? Because, sir, I got to go to bed because I got to wake up. I got to get to the airport and I got to come party with you. And we're going to we're going to we're going to have a good time tomorrow. No, I'll just say safe travels and party on dudes. Party on. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for tuning in to another episode. Please like, listen, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Find me on social media, whether Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just go to those websites and type in Stamper Cinema and you can find me. And if you're listening on the the Apple Podcast app, go to the bottom of the page, give us a little review, give us a little rating, help us build those metrics up and everything like that. And until next time, stay safe, everybody, and party on and be excellent to each other.